and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We've all learned a lot over the last year, and most of those lessons are ones that maybe we wish we didn't have to learn. We've learned what it's like to live through a deadly pandemic. And we've seen more examples of white supremacy and police brutality play out in real time. We've also learned the extent to which right-wing extremism has been on the rise here in America in recent years. That is now the face of terrorism in this country. It's no longer an external threat from some other place. It's festering right here in our own backyards, fueled by online conspiracy theories and even the words of major news channels and public officials. This year began with a violent right-wing insurrection that made it impossible to ignore the extent to which this problem has become a threat to our very republic. But even before that, 13 militia members were charged in connection with a plot to kidnap and murder Governor Gretchen Whitmer here in Michigan. Michigan now has a very powerful voice in this fight against domestic terrorism. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin is now the chairwoman of the House Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee within the Committee on Homeland Security. She says fighting domestic terrorism will be her biggest priority in that role. And she joins us now to talk about it. Congresswoman, welcome back to Detroit Thanks Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So talk about your new role as chair of the House Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee. How do you view that role, and how do you plan to use it to fight this domestic terrorism that I was just talking about? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, for me, I was lucky enough to, to be named the chair um, just this January, um, and we've just been starting off, um, you know, in the wake of January 6th, and so it's really framed our work. Um, for me, there's just you know, as someone who's a former CIA officer and Pentagon official, I had been really focused, frankly, for the past 20 years on external threats, as you were talking about, al-Qaeda and ISIS and foreign terrorist organizations that were emanating from abroad into the United States and trying to protect ourselves from homeland attacks from those groups and other groups. Um, and I think for me, January 6th really ended the post 9-11 era, those 20 years where the threats came from abroad into the United States, and it inaugurated another era, which is where the divisiveness between us as Americans is, I believe, the greatest threat to our national security. Yeah. One, because some people, a small minority of people, decide to climb that ladder of escalation and become domestic terrorists, become violent, like we've seen here in Michigan in my own district. Um, but also because the divisiveness creates gridlock in government and people start questioning whether democracy works. So on our committee, we're trying to methodically go through the policy options, the legislative options to get at domestic terrorism. Do we have the right law on the books? Do we have the right number of analysts and fo people focused at the you know, different departments and agencies? Do we have enough money? focused on this threat. It reminds me of a process we went through after 9-11 when we were so shocked by the attack um, in New York. We weren't really prepared for domestic or for foreign terrorist organizations. We were set up against places like China and Russia. So we're going to go through methodically. We started last week uh, by having our attorney general and others come in front of us and talk about the laws 
that they have on the books or don't have on the books. The patchwork isn't enough. So that's part of our agenda for the next year is really methodically going through what we need and what we don't have right now. So so it strikes me that there's something fundamentally different, of course, about an internal threat versus an external threat. But I wonder if you can talk about how that changes the approach to dealing with with things like this. Here we're talking about Americans who, for whatever reason, are attracted to um, to, to behavior or actions that undermine the republic itself. It's not a new phenomenon, but but it is fundamentally different, again, from, from somebody outside the country. Can you expand on that a little, how you, how, yeah. you, how you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of focus in our committee on making sure we preserve civil rights and civil liberties. I mean, the truth is, you know, when you're dealing with a group outside the United States, they don't have these groups, these individuals don't necessarily have the privileges of the First Amendment. They don't have the rights that are incumbent on us here in the United States, at least from a legal standpoint. But when you're talking about Americans, our neighbors, you know, people who are in our communities, um, they absolutely have the right to be angry with their government. And freedom of speech allows people to say a lot. I mean, a lot. But the, to me, where the red line appears is when someone is threatening or inciting violence. Frankly, from a legal standpoint, the minute you threaten violence, your freedom of speech is done. Um, you can't yell fire in a movie theater. I mean, we all know the examples. So what we have to do is a very careful look at how we make sure our law enforcement officers have what they need, um, that we can protect people in our local communities but not trample on anyone's First Amendment rights. And I, I've had, you know, good partners from around the state who will, you know, reinforce this. Frankly, Michigan has such some of the best uh, anti-terrorism and anti-militia laws in the country. It's really striking. Um, so we've had experience of separating wheat from chaff, you know, the true mm. threat of violence versus someone who's just angry with their government. Mm. So you've been holding hearings in Washington on this issue, including one last week that included testimony from our attorney general here in Michigan, Dana Nessel. What are you hearing in those hearings that's surprising to you? I think the thing that's surprising, you know, there's this kind of big question out there about, you know, right now, terrorism, domestic terrorism is dealt with by the states. The states are the first line of action. And in fact, some states like Michigan have stronger laws on the books than the federal government. Um, that's why in the case to kidnap and assassinate, you know, Governor Whitmer, you know, about half the defendants were charged in state law, half were charged with federal law because the state law actually was easier in many ways mm-hmm. to charge them. Hmm. Um, so the, I, there's a real debate about whether we need a federal domestic terrorism law, you know, for the entire country. And this is where you can imagine people who are very concerned about civil rights and civil liberties say, you know, from both sides of the aisle, you know, from conservatives to progressives are worried about what a federal terrorism law would do. Um, It was interesting to me that a number of the attorney generals, including our own, suggested that we need a federal um, anti-terrorism law or domestic terrorism law. Um, that's controversial. So that uh, that always surprised me. But it also surprised me that, you know, everyone's got their different flavor of, uh, you know, activists and potential potential, uh, you know, violent aggressors. We heard from the attorney general in Nevada. They've got a very different crop of folks 
you know, people who are called, quote, sovereign citizens, you know, who believe the government shouldn't control land. Um, everyone's got kind of a different flavor of it. Um, and unfortunately, it is a real patchwork. Mm. Some places have real ability to go after it. And we heard from some who just do not. Mm. So that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. She's a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District. She is also the new chairperson of the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee within the House Committee on Homeland Security. We're talking about Domestic terrorist threats, uh, which are now the sort of front and center of the war on terror here in the, in our country. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk a little about how much more difficult this this is to, to fight when it exists mostly on one side of the political spectrum. I mean, far-right thinking has become so mainstream in Republican politics that GOP officials are often openly embracing some of these ideas and these groups that wind up committing uh, these terrorist acts. Does that complicate uh, efforts to, to to fight this with intelligence? You know, the truth is, it, being a CIA analyst by training actually helps me here. There is no such thing as making up data and making up facts. You can do that as a politician, but you can't do that as an intelligence analyst. So what we've tried to do in our committee is bring in the FBI, bring in the Department of Homeland Security, get these intelligence briefs, oftentimes in a classified room, you know, in a classified setting, and level set between Democrats and Republicans on where the threat is coming from. And what you will hear both in private and in public, the FBI will tell you right now there is not one open case of domestic terrorism, of violent extremism um, against the group called Antifa. Right. It's an ideology. It is not an organized group with leaders and money and organization. Um, it's very, very different. And there is no equivalence between Antifa and a group like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers who were instrumental in coming into the Capitol on the 6th. And so for me, I've spent a lot of time trying to make sure that my colleagues have full access to that data. And, you know, I've been clear with them that we're not going to have uh, a circus in this committee and focus on boogeymen who aren't there. Um, I understand it's a political talking point for people, um, but you cannot misstate facts, particularly when the FBI director who told us this under the Trump administration, right? This is not a new talking point for the director of the FBI. Same guy was on the FBI director under Trump, and he told us in a public hearing. So um, I just um, I'm going to be pretty vigilant that we are a group that focuses on threats to Americans and we will deal in facts, not in fiction. Hmm. And, and, and do you feel like on the committee there are uh, there are members who want this to devolve into a political fight and and, and draw partisan lines around these things uh, rather than around facts and data? So I have made it my mission um, with my, my Republican co-chair, who's a former lieutenant colonel um, in the Air Force, um, someone who we know people in common, and I have made it my mission to demonstrate to the country that there are still groups of Democrats and Republicans who can deal with an issue without it becoming a political food fight. It is to be determined whether we can get there, but that is my most earnest um, uh, mission. And I've, I've taken pains. Um, to work closely with my co-chair, to invite him to my office for lunch, to get to know him human to human so that we can talk about these things like real people. 
you know, and disagree. We can absolutely disagree, but without it devolving into this, you know, political fight that people are so sick of. Mm. So that's my goal. That is my stated goal. I said it at the beginning of uh, when I opened up the hearing. And I'll say it at the beginning of each hearing, because the country deserves better than us spitting at each other when there's real threats on on the line. So so I also want to talk about these recent mass shootings in Atlanta and in Boulder, which I, I think absolutely fit in the context of domestic terrorism. They're a different context than the, the type of thing we saw on January 6th uh, or last year in, in, in Lansing. Um, but uh, how should we be viewing those uh, mass shootings and how do they fit into the context of domestic terrorism? Yeah, well, I think we're still figuring out exactly the intent of some of these folks for these horrible, horrible attacks. Um, and for me, uh, you know, what we've heard over and over from the FBI and Department of Homeland Security is the threats they're most worried about are frankly not the type of thing we saw on January 6th, where it was organized and some of the guys had helmets and body armor and weapons and plans. They're worried about the lone wolf, the one person who just gets completely radicalized online or in their community and who takes things into their own hands. And you add to that access, easy access to a weapon, and you have a real a real recipe for disaster. Um, I think what we need to figure out is whether, for instance, the attack in, in Georgia was a hate crime. Was it intended? It sure seems like it was intended at Asian Americans. Um, and that has a whole bunch of, um, you know, additional legal issues around it. Um, but there's no doubt that the issue of domestic terrorism needs to be cross-referenced with the issue on gun violence. Um, and we need to do th- we need to do something legislatively on both issues um, because they overlap. And and the if you're if you're somebody who's trying to figure out um, you know what the greatest threats are, how how do you how do you weigh? Um, the the things that we're seeing, like you say, that are that appear to be lone wolf or, or episodic against the organization of something like January 6th. It seems to me that that the organized effort has more potential over time, I guess, to be more dangerous. But but maybe you're saying that the opposite might be true. Well, unfortunately, it's the same thing we saw with folks who are affiliated with Al Qaeda or ISIS um, here in the United States. You know, we, we really didn't have for the past, you know, 20 years, we didn't have a cell, an organized team of Al-Qaeda members who carried out a complex attack in the United States. I mean, it's kind of amazing that we haven't had another major organized attack from Al-Qaeda since 9-11. Hmm. Um, what we became increasingly focused on is that needle in a haystack, that one person, you know, who's radicalized on, you know, the army base where they live, right? And they take up their weapon, and they just go on a shooting spree in the name of that ideology that they subscribe to. That lone wolf problem precedes domestic terrorism. And I just got to tell you, as an intelligence analyst, it is the hardest thing to get in front of. Hmm. It is very, very difficult. And you, you know, when it was Al-Qaeda or ISIS, you could get a sense, okay, we're seeing this person go to a lot of Al-Qaeda-related websites. They're talking to a bunch of recruiters. They're engaged with folks abroad. And so you start watching them really closely, right? You start, you can actually, you can do things like tap their phones and watch what they're looking on online. It is very different 
when someone is looking poking around at violent extremist websites, white supremacy websites here in the United States, it, it doesn't automatically get you a nod from uh, from the FBI. And it, that's because of civil liberties. So it is hard to find the lone wolf in any intelligence scenario for any threat, but really very, very hard in the context of our, our fellow Americans' domestic terrorism. So I, I don't mean to be depressing. I'm just being realistic that it is a very, very difficult problem set. Yeah. Um, I also wonder, and I know you've you've got to run, and I really appreciate the time you've given us today, but, but I, I wonder if you can talk some about how you fight the, uh, for lack of a better word, the ideologies that inspire these actions. I mean, obviously, counterterrorism is about stopping uh, the, the, the worst from happening. But, but over time, really what you want to do is take the, the, the power out of it, take the wind out of those sails. How, how do you do that? How effective is, is uh, counterintelligence at, uh, at dealing with that end of it? Yeah, so this is, it's, a, it's a great point, and it's frankly a good chunk of our work on the subcommittee that I chair is figuring out, like, how do we get in a situation where we don't have to have a law enforcement answer or an intelligence answer to this problem, that we can use education, that we can use community outreach programs to try and dampen down the likelihood that someone will believe this stuff and become extremists in the first place. So the Department of Homeland Security just announced $70 million for these community programs. Communities can apply for them, um, and they're aimed at things like um, digital literacy, educating people against disinformation and misinformation. Um, it's making sure that community groups, you know, who identify young people who might be going in the wrong direction have, you know, a voice in the conversation and can flag those folks and intervene long before they become violent. Um, we have tried this um, in the foreign terrorism context. There were grants um, aimed at stopping you know, youth from becoming interested in al-Qaeda and ISIS and, and foreign terrorist organizations, and they've had mixed results. So the goal now is to take the good lessons that we learned from that 20 years of, uh, you know, since 9-11 and apply that, those good lessons to the issue of domestic terrorism. But it's also basic things like Holocaust education, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I walked through that crowd on uh, January 6th to get to work, first day in my life that my husband ever walked me to work because I had to walk through that crowd. Um, And it was like a who's who of hate groups. There was Nazi symbology, you know, people wearing T-shirts saying six million wasn't enough. If you don't have basic Holocaust education, you don't know why that stuff is is um, disturbing. Right. And so it's uh, it's education of young people and communities before they become radicalized. Yeah. Okay, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District. Congratulations on uh, the chair position at the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Subcommittee. And thanks for being with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much, Stephen. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about access to firearms in this country and the chances for real gun reforms in 2021. I'll talk with Robin Thomas, executive director of the Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.